What a good, good, what a faithful, amazingly faithful God we have. And, uh, we'll open your Bibles now, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue on through this letter that Paul wrote, probably, or very likely, the first of his letters that we still have uh, that have been preserved down through the years. And uh, so far as we've worked our way uh, through this letter of Paul, and of course he wrote it in response to what he'd heard that had happened. He'd taken that first uh, missionary journey with Barnabas, right, and had gone into uh, to what is now modern-day Turkey and uh, had really done most of his ministry uh, in the area, the province of Galatia in that Place. So really, he's writing to the people that were part of that first uh, missionary journey who had received the good news that you can have your sins forgiven, you can receive the gift of eternal life instead of the penalty of eternal death that you deserve by putting your faith in Jesus, who is eternal God, came and became a man lived a perfect life so that he was not deserving of any punishment. And then he took everyone's sins on himself and paid that price for them. He took that message to the people of Galatia, first to the synagogues, but then eventually he would get kicked out of the synagogue. He would then take it to the Gentiles uh, of that area. And typically on that trip and most of his places he went until he was kicked out of town a lot of times. Uh, but he took that gospel and he saw great fruit. He saw some Jews believe. Then he saw larger groups of Gentiles understanding that, that their sin could be forgiven. That they could have the gift of eternal life, not because they deserved it, not because they had done something, not because they had kept the Jewish law, but simply because they received that gift in faith. And so as he counters now some teachers who have gone around to the places he had been, who are telling the believers, especially, particularly going to the Gentiles and saying, oh, oh well, well, you can be saved, but first you have to, men, be circumcised. First you have to keep these parts of the Old Testament law. Then you can believe in Jesus and be saved. And Paul in no uncertain terms, says this is not the good news. In fact, that's bad news. There is no other gospel. There is only the one. And, and Paul has spent most of his time talking about the fact that he received his message of the good news of forgiveness by putting your faith in Christ directly from Jesus. In fact, he wasn't even dependent on the other apostles, but he had received it directly from Jesus. Even after that, he, he didn't spend much time with the other apostles. A brief meeting with Peter, and then James, the brother of Jesus. And then he was, he was gone away from them again. And then we saw that when he did actually go and connect with the apostles and laid out for them what he was teaching, guess what? Perfect match. They were teaching the exact same thing because they had the same source. And to further show that he was, in fact, an apostle on the same level with any of the other apostles, he told um, about how Paul had come to Antioch, and he had, or not, Peter had come to Antioch, I'm sorry, Peter had come to Antioch, 
and was eating with the Gentiles, fellowshipping with them according to what the gospel teaches, what, what the truth of our, our union in Christ is. But then when some, some Jewish people had come down from the church in Jerusalem, Peter had started distancing himself from the Gentiles. He'd start, stopped eating together with them the food that they were sharing together. He, was, he made a, a distance between himself and the Gentiles, in essence, by his actions saying, you do have to become like Jews first to be saved. And Paul rebuked him to his face because really he was, it was false teaching by his actions. So that's, that's where Paul has brought us so far in this letter. And now he turns his, his attention directly to those who are in the churches in the area of Galatia that he has started, and, and others probably have even sprung up since then. And he begins by asking some very pointed questions. That's really a pretty valuable thing to do when you want someone to think logically through something. And he wants them to really think through this, that the fact that they've, they've followed along what these false teachers are telling them, and he wants them to use some logic. He wants them to connect the dots, and so he very pointedly asks some questions, and he does it masterfully. Now, we're going to look at these questions, and I may not be so masterful about it, because I'm going to fill in some of the, 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 the answers. Paul didn't do that. He just hit them with a series of questions. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. Think about this. Sometimes that can be the best thing we can possibly do with someone who's headed the wrong direction, to start asking them some very good questions. So in, in chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 1, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Paul's pretty serious here, isn't he? So he hits them with question after question. And he starts off really with the idea of, did, did Christ die for nothing? Because really we get that by backing up to verse 21 of chapter 2. Remember back there as Paul is, is probably, that's the end of where he's talking to Peter. It might have, he might have stopped talking to Peter earlier and then, then was commenting. Uh, but this very well could have been spoken to Peter. And he says, I do not nullify the grace of God. In other words, I don't make this free gift nothing by telling you that you have to obey the law. He says, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you're going to say a person can earn favor with God by following the law, then why, would, why did Christ need to die? Just tell people to, to buck up, do better, Come on, you can do this. No, we were, we were helpless. We couldn't do anything about our sin. So remember uh, this, this position that the false teachers 
had been teaching it, infiltrated the church, and, and not long after this, uh, the leaders in Jerusalem would write a letter correcting this, this false teaching as well. If you go back to Acts 15 and remember Acts 15, verse 1, they said this, it says, <clears throat> some men came down from Judea. Well, actually, I guess this is the incident, another incident that happened that, that uh, spurred it on. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. You have to do in order to be saved. Dangerous teaching. No matter what, you fill the in, in the blank. If it's based on you doing, it's undermining the gospel. So in essence, he's saying here, did Christ die for nothing? Is that what you're saying? Christ didn't really have to die? And now he's, then, he, then he brings it home with each of these questions. Because if you're saying you have to do something, that ruins the entire sacrifice that Jesus made. It destroys the gospel because, as Paul said in chapter 1, there is not another gospel. And as he starts with that, really the first question, point B there on your outline, it's a shocking one. The language he uses isn't particularly... Uh, friendly? You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? He wants to get their attention. Now understand, he's not berating them. In fact, this is very probably similar to the way Jesus used that, that word foolish back in Luke chapter 24. Remember, it was after his resurrection and there were these two men walking along the road to Emmaus. And uh, as he begins the conversation, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, and they're like, well, haven't you heard what's been going on? And they explain it all and how they're struggling with it. And in, in Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, Oh, foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. I think Paul, has, Paul is a disciple of Jesus. I think he's got that same tone that you feel in Luke 24. Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, unthinking Galatians is really kind of the idea behind that word. You're really not putting the proper thought into this. He's not berating them, but he's calling them to serious, thoughtful consideration of their lack of discernment. They've bought into this teaching without really thinking it through. And it's a bit like being a parent that's talking to your child, you know, and they've, they've done something that they should have known better, right? And you say, what were you thinking? Right? That's, that's the, kind of the idea here with, with Paul's spiritual children. What were you thinking? The implication being, you weren't really thinking, were you? you kind of shut your brain off for a bit there. In fact, who has bewitched you? There's been such a drastic change in their attitude from when Paul had been with them. He's like, 
Did somebody cast a spell on you? Is that how you could be different? Now, of course, the Apostle Paul didn't believe on ca in casting spells and that kind of thing. I mean, the Satan does use similar sorts of things, but I don't think that's the idea here. It's, it's kind of more like, who pulled the wool over your eyes? Who sweet-talked you into believing this garbage? Okay. What happened? What kind of power came over you that you would do something so ridiculous? Stop and think, because you haven't been thinking like you should be. He says, as before your eyes, the Christ Jesus Christ was pro pro publicly portrayed as crucified. Remember going back to the, the last verse of the, of the last chapter? If, if, if you can do it by works, the crucifixion was meaningless. While I was with you, I spent a great deal of time laying out for you, helping you to see very clearly that Christ, the Messiah, right? He uses the word Christ in there, Messiah, was crucified for you. Their presentation was very clear. They, they, they gave it in detail. They made it public. It wasn't some hidden truth. But everyone in, in, in that area that heard Paul speak knew that he spoke about the Jewish Messiah being crucified for all sinners. He underwent one of the most, the most awful kind of death for sinners. This was not an optional add-on to your Jewish religion. No alternate route, there is no alternate route to salvation. He portrayed Jesus as the only way because Jesus was crucified. And he's saying, did you forget this? Did you forget that was the emphasis? That's what I laid out in public before you? Which just leads into, naturally into his next question, verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He says, I, I was with you. You have the Spirit if you were believing. So the, obvious, the answer is obvious. Paul expects them to immediately confirm that they received the Spirit when they believed. If you don't believe that, let's look at some of the other things Paul taught later. In some, he would write to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Here in this, this great section, Paul goes through and he outlines the, the part that each of the persons of the Trinity play in our salvation. So he starts with the Father, then he talks about the Son, then about the Spirit. In verse 13 it says, In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Having believed, there's the condition. That's what, what happens first. But then you're sealed. Does God bring you to faith? Does he forgive your sins? And then wait a while and say, oh, now you're sealed. Now you're secure and safe in your, in your salvation. No, it happens immediately. He's speaking to all of the believers there in Ephesus. 
He says, each one of you is sealed with the Holy Spirit. He is yours when you believed. So the link between receiving the Spirit leaves no room for you believed and kept the law, or you believed and were circumcised and then you received it. No. Having believed, you received the Spirit. In fact, if we go back to the record of Paul being in Galatia in Acts 13, verse 52, as he's leaving uh, the city of Antioch there in, in, in Pisidia, it's a different Antioch than he left from back in Syria, but he was in the city of, of Antioch, chapter 13, verse 52. This describes their condition as he left, it says, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So remember, it wasn't until after Paul left that these people came along and said, Well, you can, you can, you can have salvation if you first become like a Jew. No, as Paul was leaving, his record was they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. God was working in and through them, and it began the moment they believed. He said, so was it because you kept the law? Well, the, the record that Luke wrote us said, no. No, it wasn't because any, any of the men were circumcised. It wasn't because they kept the ceremonial law. It wasn't because they were doing all the right things. No, they received the Spirit when they believed. Or, think, or go back to Acts chapter 10 with Peter and his situation when he went to Cornelius and the other, uh, other Gentiles for, for the first time. Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 47. And remember that, you know, we've talked about how, how God had to work, work in Peter's heart just to get him to go and go inside a Gentile home, much less to go into fellowship with them and eat with them and share the gospel with them. But God did. He had to give him a vision and had to put people on his doorstep to take him there. But Peter went and obeyed. And he gave the gospel. He explained to them how they, as Gentiles, could be saved by believing. In verse 44, while he, he's still speaking. Doesn't even get to finish his presentation. Verse 44 it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? I mean, did those Gentiles, while Paul was speaking, suddenly start obeying the law? No. What happened suddenly? In their hearts, they believed. They didn't, you know, they, couldn't, they didn't get to walk an aisle. They didn't raise their hand, you know, didn't get to say anything out loud. While they were listening, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came on them. No time for obeying the law first, right? It was all by grace, 
through faith, through believing in Jesus. In fact, when Paul writes to the Roman church, he takes it to its logical conclusion, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And there, speaking of, of having the Spirit in you as a believer, he tells them, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, the situation is, you aren't a believer. You never believed if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, right? There's just not, not, a, not two alternatives. There's not a believer over here without the Spirit and a believer over here with us. No. When you believe, you receive the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. And so the, the, the absolutely right answer to Paul's rhetorical question for them is, no, we didn't receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law. We received the Holy Spirit when we believed. It was at that moment, and it wasn't because we did anything. It was all a free gift from God that the third person of the Trinity took up residence within me. I didn't deserve it, but it happened by his grace. And that's the point he wants them to get. You didn't have to wait around until these people came and told you to obey the law to get the Spirit, did you? No. So stop and think about this. Can their gospel possibly be true? In fact, Takes it then another step further, if we go back to Galatians again, to verse 3, with that next, next question that he has. And this really gets down to the nitty-gritty of what's, what's going on with this, because you know, they, they're, they're trying to undermine people who have already believed, right? If I can turn my pages to the right spot, we'll get there. Um, so verse 3, are you so foolish? Again, he says, are you so unthinking? Have you, have you not connected the dots? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Having begun by the Spirit, right? When, when you believed, you received the Spirit. That's how, that's how you were saved, right? And Paul writes to Titus and kind of explains here the connection, it helps us understand the connection between the Holy Spirit and having begun. But Titus chapter 3, if you turn over there, verses 5 through 7. And here explaining our salvation in Christ, it says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Oh, that rules out keeping the law in order to be saved, right? Doing good things, being a good guy, a good gal. No, not righteousness that saves, our own righteousness, doing good things, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, so that being justified by his grace, by a gift, right? Being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
Do you notice the role there that, that the Holy Spirit plays? And really what happens, it's according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that really means, just in your version might say this, the washing of new birth, right? You're born again in Christ. That's what happens at salvation. And renewing or being made new by the Holy Spirit. So how did you become saved? Well, the Holy Spirit played a key role there. He made you new at that point. Right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? And so that's how you got to the point of being this new creation. So now are you in your acts and thoughts and everything else? Is it now, okay, God, I've got this. Thanks for making me new. I can handle it from here. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit plays a crucial role, an irreplaceable role in us being saved and becoming new. And he makes us new so that we, it says here, can be heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a beginning, right? Not only are you new, but now you're an heir of all that, all that is yours in Christ, of eternal life, of all of the blessings, of all of the joys of heaven. Right? Are you going to accomplish the rest on your own? Are you going to go from your point of being an unredeemed sinner and all of the sinful patterns that you have, and then just by saying, well, here's the law, here's the things I should do, I will accomplish this. Paul's like, don't you get it? Your flesh, that is your natural self, and all your efforts and abilities couldn't save you from your sin and its consequences. So now that the Spirit has played this crucial role in saving you, you can't just walk away from Him and be changed in your attitudes and behaviors on your own power. You need the Holy Spirit to keep on working so that you can put aside those sin, sinful patterns, so that you can be what we call sanctified, made holy, be conformed to the image of Christ. Those are all different ways of putting this. So are you going to take the law, which is just a tool that was designed to show you your sinfulness, to stop being sinful? It wasn't made for that. It wasn't made to, to, to cut out your sin in your life, stop your sinful patterns. It was just there like a mirror to show you. Yeah, look at how sinful you are. You can't keep this. You can't do this. In fact, when Peter finally got this, remember Paul had to confront Peter about it, but if we go back to Acts 15 when they're having their discussion about what to do about those that taught in, in Antioch, that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, Peter stands up and in chapter, Acts 15 verses 7 through 10, he lays it out pretty clear here. He says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So he's referring back to the incident we talked about when he went to Cornelius' house, and while he was speaking, they believed. Verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to 
us. In other words, to the uncircumcised, just like us, the circumcised. And he made no distinction between them and us, cleansing their hearts by works of the law? No, by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? And listen to this. Listen to how he describes the idea of having Gentiles be under the law. Now, why do you put God to the test by placing on the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Why would you do this? We had the, had the, the, the law. It helped us understand our sinfulness. It helped us understand you know, the, the idea of holiness. But we couldn't bear it. It was like being un, under a burden we couldn't lift up. Does it make sense to on redeemed, forgiven people return that yoke? Say, now in your strength, keep this. Peter totally tore apart that idea with his speech there. Matter of fact, a great passage in Romans, as Paul wrote to the, the Roman believers, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And some of you probably is one probably love this, this passage greatly because of, of the great freedom that it brings. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. Remember, chapter 7 was that wrestling over sin, right? I don't do what I want to do. You know, I do what I don't want to do, and, and I'm in this great struggle. But verse eight, or chapter 8 brings the hope. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, the Old Testament law was a law of sin and death because nobody could keep it. They could only be condemned by it. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who, listen to this, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. listening to the Spirit, directed by the Spirit and the Word which He gave us. Understanding the truth of life in Christ. So don't start off by faith and say, oh, what a great gift. And then say, now I'm going to make myself holy. Now I'm going to conform myself. To no, you've got to keep listening to the Spirit and allow Him to direct us and our lives using the word that He gave us, which some of which we're studying right now, right? And Paul will talk about how that works out as we, as we move into to Galatians more. But he's not done with his questions. So let's continue on back in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 4, where he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain or for nothing? If indeed it was in vain? As Paul was getting ready to leave the Galatian area, he made it through all of these towns. Then he turned around and went back again and went, went through them again to encourage them before he returned to Antioch and Syria. 
And if you go back to Acts 14, look at, look at how he, what he said as he left. Acts chapter 14, 21 and 22. If they're going to believe the message that he gave them, he says, here's, here's what's going to happen. It says, after they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. As he leaves, he says, things are going to get hard. The pathway between here and being with Jesus and the fullness of his kingdom going to be some hard things. So he asks them here this rhetorical question, have you suffered so much for nothing? And apparently Paul's predictions have come true. Paul was persecuted a great deal while he was, he was there, at one point even being, being stoned and left for dead. They apparently had been the object of persecution, and, it, and really the ones who were the persecutors at this point in time really was the, it was the Jewish community. They'd stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And now, apparently, they're stirring up persecution about those who had believed their message. So if the issue was one of keeping the law, if that's what was bringing on the persecution, well, they could just keep the law, right? And the Jewish community would leave them alone. They could just go on side by side with the Jewish community doing the same things that they did. The Roman government allowed Judaism. It was one of the recognized religions of the empire. So why not just act like Jews? And there wouldn't be the persecution. They could just live under that umbrella. So he's saying, why did you suffer? Was it for nothing? For no reason? Really, what is the controversy here? It's controversial to say, especially where there is a Jewish community, that coming into a right relationship with God is only by believing in Jesus, and that Jesus completely freed those who believe in him from the law, because they now live by the Spirit, rather than trying to accomplish the commands of the law. That was at the heart of Paul's gospel. He said, you suffered for believing that. You suffered for living that. Well, if you can be saved by keeping the law, why bother all that suffering? Is that just a waste of your time? The obvious answer is no. It was worth every bit of it. And Paul has one more question. He says, so then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. There were miracles that actually happened. We know we, there's known miracles. Um, if, you, if you go back again to Acts chapter 14, uh, verse 3, and there's some other references there. We won't look at those but uh, later in the chapter. But particularly Acts 14, verse 3, explains what was going on during Paul's first missionary journey, it says, Therefore they spent a long time there, speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done 
by their hands. So while Paul and Barnabas were there, miracles were happening. Amazing things. People healed. Uh, later, there's a man who, who couldn't walk. They healed him in, in another city. Later, Paul, remember, stoned and left for dead? Got up and walked back into town. That was miraculous. You, know, you usually don't live to tell about having been stoned. Okay? You're dead. And you don't, certainly don't just get up and walk back into town and then the next day restart your journey. So they had, they had seen miraculous things happen. Paul said, did those miraculous things happen because you were keeping the law so well? Did you, you'd got enough notches in your belt to say, oh, yeah, you deserve a miracle. Ka-ching, right? No. No, it was just the grace of God. It was by him. It was a gift to those who believe. Now, the tenses in verse, verse 5 indicate that there were ongoing miracles still in these churches. God continued to provide or, or abundant, supply abundantly with great generosity His Spirit as a gift to them. So this, the, the indwelling of the Spirit continued on. But also, it, it's a present tense verb when it says that He was doing miracles among them. So it seems as though God blessed them with an ongoing testifying to the word of His grace even after Paul and Barnabas had left to strengthen their faith now that they were on their own. So the apostles weren't there. The, the missionaries that came to them weren't there. God encouraged them with some ongoing miracles. But the question is, is did those ongoing miracles, those happen because you kept the law? <laughs> well, apparently those were happening before these false teachers ever came around, right? The clear answer was no. No, it was just a gift from God. It was just an act of his grace through his spirit so that we would be affirmed that, yeah, the gospel that Paul brought was real. It was true. They hadn't been circumcised. They hadn't kept feasts. They hadn't obeyed dietary restrictions so that God did these supernatural things. It was his gift to them. They have no excuse. They can think it through for themselves. They can work this out and understand the teaching that's been brought to them is false. So without Paul even giving them any direct instruction on this, they should have said, oh, what were we doing? What were we thinking? God's salvation is such an amazing gift. It's not given because we did enough. It's given simply because he loves us. And Jesus provided the way and offered it to us. Now, so it's like the Galatians. It's, it's important for us to think clearly about the implications of what anyone is teaching us. If we buy into a, an unbiblical idea that's presented to us, it has ramifications in other areas of truth. This false teaching about the law had begun to undermine the very basis of these new believers' faith. It threatened to turn back people into, into just trying to be good and failing over and over again. And that's one of the saddest things we see in the world today. People who say, well, I'll just be good enough. I'll just do enough good things and then I'll be okay with God. 
And that's condemned more people to hell probably than any other lie. It's not about being kind enough, being good enough, following somebody's set of laws, even if they are the ones given through Moses. And that truth threatened to keep them from sharing the good news of salvation by believing in Jesus only to receive his gift of salvation with their children. It threatened to keep them from sharing the, the, the good news of salvation only by faith with those around them that were condemned to hell. This was a very dangerous religious teaching. Even though it looked good on the outside, right? It's like, well, you know, do, do good. Do good. Sounds nice, doesn't it? We want people around us to do good. There are hundreds of people, thousands of people we come in contact with. Say they're good people, right? They're keeping their religion's set of instructions. Well, sort of. Even man-made instructions we fail at, right? See, it just puts people under bondage. It puts them under a law that they, it's a yoke they can't bear. We've got to tear that off and say, no, it's only salvation by putting your trust in Jesus alone. Because no matter how good those look on the surface, they are deadly underneath. In fact, if you're believing that you can be good enough, you've got to tear that away. Give it up and believe only in Jesus. That he can give you salvation and that he can break through and change your thought patterns and your action patterns, and your patterns of sin, and allow him by his spirit to direct you in that so that you can grow out of those in practice in your life. Because if you think it's up to you to do it in your strength, you're all, you've also been lied to. You need to believe the truth of what Paul is teaching here. So that's where there is life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's questions. I pray that uh, we would be willing to think carefully through questions that, that reveal our, our thinking and our errors in thinking uh, because it is so easy in this world, sinful world to, to go the wrong direction and, and maybe even in what seems like small things end up undermining the, the important things that that uh, under, underpin our, our relationship with you and, and our, our changing, our being grown and, and being made holy that you have for us. And so, Lord, help us to simply trust in Jesus according to, to the way your word describes that so that we might honor and glorify you. Thank you for, for things in Scripture to, to turn us and to set us straight. And help us to help one another, to walk with one another, uh, encouraging one another and, and building up each other in faith, in, in trusting Jesus, in knowing your word, in loving you. We ask this and we praise you for it in Jesus' name.